0: Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from his word today. Well, welcome again to Bible Center. It's great having you here. My goodness, the singing in both of our services this morning is just moving. Thank you for worshiping the Lord with all your heart. I wish everyone had the opportunity to hear what we hear at the front, uh, just hearing you blast the name of Jesus from behind us. Thank God for you, glad you're here. If you take your Bible and turn with me to the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 8, Song of Songs, chapter 8, we're going to read together in just a moment. Before we do, I want to invite you back tonight for our family meeting, our member meeting. If you're a member of Bible Center Church or you have plans to, if there's even a chance that you one day could become a member of Bible Center Church, I hope you'll join us here tonight. I'd love to fill up the auditorium. Uh, We try to do these three or four times a year. It's an opportunity for us to meet together. We're going to start at 6, and our plan is to be done right at 7. We're really trying hard to be done right at 7. We can even cut it off for the summer meeting if we need to. Uh, but we're going Tonight I'm going to share a few things from my heart briefly, and then the chairman of our elders, the chairman of our deacons, they're both going to give an update on what their boards, our boards and groups are working on, just trying to do a better job of keeping you in the loop. And then Pastor John and I are going to share a little bit about vision. You're going to be able to take our vision and write it on a napkin by the time we're done tonight. So we all want to be on the same page with our vision, or in this case, we all want to be on the same napkin with our vision. But it starts at 6 o'clock and at 7 we're going to dismiss and we're going to go out and eat cake and ice cream to celebrate Pastor Caleb's 10th anniversary with us here at Bible Center. He's actually been here 12 years, uh, but we forgot and we missed it. So we're doing a 10 plus 2 tonight uh, for Pastor Caleb. If you want to bring a card just to celebrate with him, him and Tiffany, uh, feel free to do that. We're in the middle of our relationship series. Actually, we're ending it this morning for the last six weeks We've been walking verse by verse through Solomon's Song of Songs, and we've seen how that desire is a gift from God, how that attraction is a gift from God. We've watched Solomon and his young bride. We've watched them date. Uh, we've watched through their courtship. We had this glorious marriage uh, wedding ceremony with like 60 groomsmen and 60 bridesmaids. Uh, they let us in a little bit. They summarized their wedding night for us, showing us that sex is a gift from God And then we walked two weeks ago through their first fight. If you missed two weeks ago, you're going to want to hear that. But then last Sunday, we took a little bit of a break from the Song of Songs. And Pastor Sean Thornton, who was our former senior pastor from 97 to 2008, he preached from another book that Solomon wrote, the book of Proverbs, on the use of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That sermon continues uh, to minister to my heart. If you missed it, you definitely want to go back and watch that one on our app. Or Listen to it on the podcast. It'll be a blessing to you. But today we're, we're going to finish up in the last two chapters and they're going to give us a glimpse of what it looks like to develop your life and develop your relationship to stand the test of time. What does that look like and how Uh, Do we go about doing it? I'll say one more time. It's a PG-13 message. I think it's like the thousandth time we've said it. But just to make sure we're out there, uh, it is. If you haven't taken your children to children's ministry, if you're not comfortable with them being in the service, feel free to do that when we stand and read. Please stand with me out of respect for the Bible. Song of Songs, chapter 8, starting in verse 6. Place me like a seal over your heart. Like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This past Thursday night, we had some great weather, especially on Thursday. It was in the upper 60s, maybe even 70. And so after work, Sarah and I decided to build a bonfire, build a campfire behind our house. This is a fire pit uh, behind our house. The whole area, we jokingly say they spent more money, the builder spent more money on the campfire than he did on the kitchen. The previous owner uh, put it here. But we really enjoy our campfire. And so we decided we got some wood together, got some twigs together. Because I'm from West Virginia and a former uh, Boy Scout, I was able to make the fire using a fire starter from Walmart. Uh, But we we had a great time together. And my whole goal was just to be able to catch up on the week. It had been really, really busy. I wanted to hear how work was going, how things were going with the kids. And she wanted to hear how I was doing. And, of course, you always start out these nights wanting them to be, like, perfect, right? Everything's going to be perfect. And they never are. And so we sat down to talk, and then, you know, the dog starts, like, running circles around us and barking and, like, pooping a couple times, like, right by the fire pit. You're like, this is really, really romantic. Um, the girls, you know, have questions about different things. And it was just really turned out to be a good night. Uh, but we learn. we were talking that night how that, you know, you got to keep throwing logs on the fire to keep the fire going. And relationships and marriage is a lot the same way. It can start out with a blaze, but in order to keep things going, you've got to continue to add fuel to the fire. And so we're going to talk about that today, what it looks like to add fuel to the fire of your marriage. Throughout the series, I've tried to address relationships at work, relationships at church, relationships with neighbors and friends. Uh, But this morning, I really, one last time before we move on to our next series, I want to speak primarily to married couples. And so I'll ask, if you're here today and you're not married or or you desire to be married, I would ask you to be praying for me and pray for the couples around you. Um, I'm going to be asking that no matter where you find yourself, ask the Lord to speak to you in a very specific way. Jeremy Taylor said in 1661 that love is friendship set on fire. Love is friendship set on fire. So think with me a minute, whenever you first get married, that fire is just blazing hot, right? And I'm not here today to somehow guilt you into the fact that the fire has waned since your honeymoon. All of the fires in here have waned since our honeymoon. I don't think it would be healthy for us to sustain a honeymoon kind of love uh, seven days a week. We're just not built for that. But at the same time, I'm not concerned about someone who would say, "Well, there's been ups and downs in our marriage." What I'm burdened for is the man or woman here who's given up. I'm burdened for the man or woman who just doesn't care. I'm burdened for you, and, and I've been praying for you this week. If you've kind of got to the place that you punched the time card of marriage, but you really have no desire to make it any better, I'm praying this morning that God will use this message to give you that desire to renew that desire, for you not to give up, for you not to quit, for you to ask God to help put another log on the fire. Now I have to admit, this sermon title is probably the most hillbilly sermon title I've used since I've been back in West Virginia. But we understand it, right? Even if you're not from here, you understand what it looks like to put more logs on the fire. And so in the next few minutes, we're gonna look at seven different ways You can refuel your marriage. Seven different logs uh, to put on the fire. Let's look at the first one together. Number one, try seeing your spouse in a different perspective. Try seeing your spouse in a different perspective. Verse one, how beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Did you notice something different about verse 1 compared to the other descriptions of his bride? Where does he start in verse 1? Does he start at the top of her head or somewhere else? He starts with her feet. Every other description throughout this entire series, Solomon starts at the same place over and over again. starts with her eyes and he works his way down. But this is the only instance in the whole book where he starts with her feet. What can we learn from that? Well, sometimes it's helpful for us to try seeing our spouse in a different perspective. Here's what I mean by that. Um, So when I got married, I only had two perspectives of my wife. I had the perspective of a friend and a lover. She was my best friend in high school. She became my best friend. Uh, We continued to be best friends through college. We got married after our sophomore year. I knew her as a friend, but I also knew her as a lover. Right? I loved my wife as a newlywed man. Man, I was all about that. But after I got married, I learned that there's a whole lot of other dimensions to my wife that I didn't really appreciate when I got married. One, I learned that she was God's daughter. I can never really remember before I married her thinking of her as a daughter of God. Now, I knew she was a believer. I knew she loved Jesus, wanted to follow Jesus. But there was just something it probably didn't happen until after we had kids. Like, oh my goodness, I have married a daughter of the king, And so it allowed my love to go deeper. It allowed my respect uh, to go higher. It wasn't long after that, I realized that she was a daughter of Roger. Roger attends church here. He was in the early service. The most awkward thing to do is talk about sex and love with your father-in-law in the room. Um, but I learned that she was a, a daughter of Roger. And so it gave me a new appreciation. Like she was a little girl at one time. She carried teddy bears and, and she rode a bike and, and she had dreams and she had hopes. And so it challenges me to say, am I taking care of this little girl who's now grown up to be my wife? It, that perspective gives you a, a different respect, if that makes sense. I've come to appreciate her as a professional. She's a, a, an RN. I've come to appreciate her as somebody who enjoys having fun, a partier. I really didn't realize that as much until after we got married. She loves to have fun. One of my favorite things to do is weddings. If you said, hey, do you have the opportunity to preach or do weddings? I'm going to take weddings every day. And then you're going to have to tell me not to preach at your wedding, right? I love doing weddings. But my favorite part about weddings is afterwards you get to have a party. And I tell her when we go into parties, she has one job, one job when we go to wedding receptions, and that is to make sure I don't lose my job. That's her job right? Have fun, have fun, don't lose mind. Men, this week, try seeing your wife in a different light, not just as that woman, but try seeing her as the daughter of God, the daughter of her father, a professional, the mother of your children, and any other unique attributes she has. Ladies, try seeing your husband as God's boy. Yes, sometimes we husbands act like little boys, but he used to be a little boy, and he had dreams, and he had hopes, and he talked with his friends about what it was going to be like one day when he finally got that girl. Remember that. It gives you a compassion and a love that may be difficult in different seasons of life. Number two, give genuine compliments often. Give genuine compliments often. Look back with me at verse 1. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O princess daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Verse 2 Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Now, guys, please look at me. <laughs> Do not say this. <laughs> If the word bellies and wheat ever show up in the... Or bellies and mounds show up in the same sentence around your wife, it's going to go badly. I'm just going to warn you. It's going to go badly. Don't do it. Right? Verse 3. You've been warned. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. We'll not talk much about this, but remember, men, when you're chasing a fawn, you don't attack the fawn. You woo the fawn. You gently approach the fawn. You circle the fawn. You don't run after the fawn, okay? Verse 4. Your neck is like an ivory tower, your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of bath Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. She's he's talking about her dignity. She carries herself with a certain level of dignity. He's he's she's beautiful in his eyes. These descriptions, verses 5 through 7, I mean, this is a 3,000-year-old book, right? It would be like me trying to teach from the Constitution, which is over 200 years old. It would be like me trying to teach from um, the Code of Hammurabi, right? Now, those two documents aren't inspired. This book is inspired, but you get it. 3,000 years ago, customs change, illustrations change. So try to picture this. Verse 5, your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I have learned this week that it was common in Middle Eastern culture to compare women to a palm tree. I didn't know that until this week. We have our different references of strong women or strong men. You know, the, the term brick house, whatever. You, you've got your turn. This is a palm tree. So this was, this was cool back then. Baby, you look like a palm tree. Verses 8 and 9, the most awkward verses for me to read in the entire series. And I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. I think I'm going to preach on a year of John 3.16 after this series. Just... <laughs> We need it, but it's in the Bible. Men, let me encourage you with this. He's complimenting his girl. Do not lead off with verses 8 and 9 that we just read. R- lead off with all the other things that we've read during this six-week series. He compliments his girl, her eyes, her character, her laugh, her smile. He compliments all those things. And, and evidently their relationship is deep enough for him, for him to be able to say what he just said in verses 8 and 9. But guys, find genuine compliments for your girl. Now she knows when you're making something up. Like don't make something up, right guys? Don't be like, hey, you're prettier than... Just don't, don't make it up. But if there are certain things about her that you love and appreciate, talk about those things. Say those things. Don't just look at her and like say, you smell good, right? I mean, she might smell good, but... Come on, try. Just try. Be alert. Find things that you can compliment about your girl. Ladies, he needs your affirmation more than you may realize. He just does. He may act like he's tough. He may act like he's the man. He may act like nothing bothers him, but it does. He needs your affirmation. He needs your words, your kind words. This past week or a couple of weeks ago, a few of us got to set with Jim and Brenda McQuarrie. He was a former music pastor here at Bible Center for years. And, you know, they're in retirement years. And just sitting with them, watching the way they complimented one another, it wasn't sappy. It wasn't weird. It was just they were just respectful. So I think about like my professional relationships. When I'm sitting with someone, I try not to interrupt them. I try. try not to interrupt them. Um, I try to speak kind words. I try to listen. I try not to be on my phone while they're talking. But if you're like me, something happens when I go home. It's like, wow, I know she loves me. And I just throw all common courtesy out the door. If that's you, please ask God to help you be more intentional with your kind words and your compliments in your conversation. Number three, be playful and have as much fun as possible. Be playful and have as much fun as possible. Verse nine. The last part of verse nine, she says, May the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over his, missing word there, lips and teeth. In the Hebrew, she's being very, very playful, right? She's essentially, he's saying, Baby, you're like my wine and my wheat, which were like two of the most precious commodities in that day. And she's like, Yeah, you're right. I am your wine. Drink your fill, right? She's she's being playful. She's flirting with him. Verse 10. I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. Women want to be desired. Verse 11, come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Now think with me, leave verse 11 on the screen for a minute. What is she asking? How would you put that in modern vernacular? What is she asking for? Essentially, she's saying, hey, let's go away for the night. Let's go somewhere. Let's get out of town. Right. Even three thousand years ago, this meant a lot to couples to, to be playful, to go have some fun. There's just something about getting out of town, right? If you're married, let me ask you to, to budget. Try to budget in every so often to try to get out of town, even if it's just Parkersburg or Beckley. You know, go somewhere. There's just something about getting out of town. If you can afford it, or if you can save up for a while and, and take that trip you've always wanted to take, take it. Just Take it, just do it. We've been married 19 years. and our 10th anniversary, we went to Cancun. We still talk about that. Like every week, we talk about that trip nine years ago to Cancun. But if it's not Cancun, maybe it's a neighboring city. We got Charlotte and Pittsburgh and Louisville and Roanoke, like all within just a few hours drive of us. One of our favorite things to do is go over to Louisville. There's a little Cuban restaurant. If you saw this restaurant, you'd be like, why in the world do you guys drive all the way to Louisville to a Cuban restaurant, and then drive home. Like, why do you do that? It's just our thing. We just enjoy it, right? It's like eight hours together. It's great food, right? And so whatever your thing is, be playful and have fun as much as possible. Charleston has a number of good attractions. CharlestonWV.com. Being in a small town like Charleston, it's not as easy, perhaps, as if we lived in Chicago or New York, but it's here. We've just got to work at it. It's spending time together. A few weeks ago, Sarah and I had dinner with an older couple, a more re- a retired couple. I shouldn't use the word older. Retired couple uh, in our church, and they're new members, uh, Dick and Nancy Barber. And on the way to eat lunch with them or eat dinner with them, just going through the membership process, um, we were talking about, like, what do we need to talk about with them? Because we didn't really know them all that well. What do you have? We don't have a lot in common with retired people. We're, kind of, we're still young professionals. We're, we're still on the front end of our career. And so we were talking, like, try, can we keep the conversation fun? And it didn't take us long in that dinner to realize we weren't the ones going to keep the conversation fun. Like, Dick and Nancy are always traveling. They're always flirting together. It's almost embarrassing, right? I mean, they just love each other. And when we left that dinner, we thought we want to be like them. Playful, having fun, enjoying life. Number four, be intentional. Invest in your marriage. Be intentional. Invest in your marriage. Verse 11 of chapter 7. Again, she says, Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyard to see if the vines have budded. Think of this. If their blossoms have opened and if the pomegranates are in bloom, there I will give you my love. Now Solomon was a wise dude. He was wise. I just have this image in my mind of Solomon when she says this to him, like scratching his head, saying something like this. I don't know what that means, but I want to find out, right? I want to find out what you're talking about, honey. Verse 13. The mandrakes send out their fragrance, and at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you my beloved. There was no bath and body work. So these herbs created the scent and uh, made it a little more attractive. Verse, chapter 8 and verse 10, she continues to speak with investment language. I had to include these verses. If you want to flip over a page to chapter 8 and verse 10, she literally talks about the investment into her as his bride. She says in chapter 8, verse 10, I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. "'Thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment.'" That's the Hebrew word shalom, peace, comfort. Verse 11 of chapter 8. "'Solomon had a vineyard in Belhamon "'and let out his vineyard to tenants. "'Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver, "'but my own vineyard is mine to give. "'The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon.'" And 200 are for those who tend its fruit. Like, what is this? Modern vernacular, she's saying this. You're a businessman. You invest in vineyards. We said a few weeks ago, Solomon had vineyards and gardens all around the city of Jerusalem. He spent equivalent of millions of millions of dollars on them. So what she's saying is this, honey, you spend a lot of money on investing in property. And specifically in gardens, I'm the best investment you're ever going to make. Can't you just picture some of your wife saying that, right? Like, hey, I'm the best investment you are ever going to make. I'm more worth far more than any of your gardens. Verse 13, you who dwell in the gardens with friends and attendants, let me hear your voice. She's like, everybody else around here, you better agree, right? That's when the, the groom's friends really come in handy. There's, this is when you shake your head, right? Even if you don't understand. Yes. Come away, my beloved. Verse 14, And be like a gazelle or like the young stag on the spice-laden mountains. What can we learn from this? It's that investing in our marriages is the best investment we can make outside of heaven. And actually investing in our marriages is just another way to invest in heaven. I heard the story of a man who'd been married one year and his wife got a cold. And so he loved his wife so much he smothered her with blankets he smothered her with love he he smothered her with medicine and care and foot massage man he was so in tune well then the three-year mark came and his wife got another cold and so he went down to the pharmacy because you know it was his duty and he got some medicine and walked into the house and tossed the medicine on the bed and told her to make sure she takes her medicine Well, then the five-year mark came, and he was so compassionate that whenever she coughed, he would remind her to cover her mouth so she didn't spread her germs. That's kind of what happens, right, if we're not careful. And so what Solomon is telling us to do here is to invest, to spend not just money but resources and time and energy into our marriages. If your spouse likes quality time, spend quality time with them. If they enjoy you just sitting beside them and watching TV, then by all means, sit beside them and watch TV. Um, that means that sometimes you have to sit beside them and watch TV without your laptop in front of you. I didn't say every time. I left myself an out, right? But, but, but try to spend time with them if that's what they like. In all seriousness, we've had to come to the place where we just ask each other, hey, what do you need from me right now? What do you, what do you need? And sometimes she's just like, hey, I need this. But it's communication really, really helps. If they like acts of service, do acts of service. Wash the dishes. If that's their thing, do the laundry. If that's their thing. If they like presents, buy them presents. And not just on Valentine's Day, but throughout the other 364 days of the year as you're able. Ask them what you're doing well to show you their love. This is a hard conversation I had to cut off early of a sermon a few weeks ago, and so I wanted to really come back and hit this. One of the best ways to do this is about once every few months, just sit down for a dinner with your spouse and say, hey, what am I doing? Start with the happy stuff, right? What am I doing that shows you I love you, right? And let them tell you, hey, I really thought this the other day was great. This really blessed me. But then you can also say, hey, give me, now maybe you're tougher than me. My heart can't take more than one. Every few months I'll say, hey, tell me one way I can love you better one way. Now, she probably has 10, but I just, my heart can only take one. So you ask your spouse that. What can I do to help you show you my love better? Guys, we have Google. We live in a day like no man has ever lived in. You're like, what do I do for a date? Google it. You can be a rock star with the help of Google. It will really, really help. Make a list of what your wife likes. What she enjoys, and then let that be your fallback. Let that be your go to. Ladies, men want to be desired. As a lady, if you don't take anything else away from this, past, from this book, I hope you'll take this away that it's okay for you to take the initiative. It is okay. Over and over again in the scriptures, what's happened in church history is that men are naturally passive. You know, we're aggressive at work, but we're just some reason naturally passive at home. You see it all the way back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter three, Adam was right beside Eve when Eve ate of the forbidden fruit and he didn't stop her. So, really, Eve ate the fruit first, but Adam has sinned because Adam didn't stop her. We men just struggle with passivity if it's not work, right? And so, over and over again in the Bible, the Bible is like, hey, men, take the initiative at home, take the initiative. But for some reason in church history, that's kind of devolved, not evolved, but devolved into this teaching that somehow only men can take the initiative in the relationship. That's not what Song of Solomon teaches. Remember all the way back, she pursues him first. Ladies, we need help. We need help sometimes. Pursue us. Tell us what it is that you want. Tell us how we can love you. Better. And it's okay for you to surprise your husband and to bless him in that way. We've put some resources on the website. I've said this several times, but it'll be up there for for like the next 10,000 years. It'll be on our website, but it's on our home screen still. Uh, If you go and click on the relationship series, there's a bunch of free resources, free videos. There's book recommendations. There's conference recommendations. There's even a cruise you can take, a couple's cruise. A lot of family life stuff on there. It's a company that uh, Pastor Matt Garrison highly recommends. He and I went to a conference with our wives several years ago. A lot of good stuff. You want to check it out to invest in your marriage. Number five, try to touch your spouse in ways they desire Try to touch your spouse in ways they desire. Verse 1 of chapter 8. She says, If only you were to me like a brother who was nursed at my mother's breasts, then if I found you outside, I would kiss you and no one would despise me. Again, what is she talking about? Well, 3,000 years ago, it was unacceptable in some cultures, and really in this part of the world, it still is in many places, for you to show physical expression of love, physical affection to your husband or your wife in public. And so that was considered to be only for private. And you, you see that in little pockets here and there, even in Appalachia. And so all she's saying here is, look, I wish the rules were the same for you, my lover, as they are my brother. She was allowed to hug her brother in public. She was allowed to give her brother a kiss on the cheek in public. But this time it was very strict. She couldn't show public, wasn't supposed to show public affection uh, towards her lover. So verse 2, she says, I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house. She who has taught me, I would give you spiced wine to drink, the nectar of my pomegranates. I'm going to move on. Verse 3, He he, his left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. She's telling him what she wants. She's being very specific. This is, this is what I want. This is how you can love me best. What well, can we learn from that? Well, we can learn that one of the best things you can do as a couple is just to be honest with your spouse about what it is that you need and how they can bless you specifically. Women, please tell your husband, what you want. Men, tell your wives, tell your wife what you want. Now, if you're both not comfortable in doing something, then please don't force the other one to do it. But one of the questions I get now throughout this series several people have asked, what are you allowed to do as a married couple, and what are you not allowed to do as a married couple? Well, obviously, it's fidelity to one another. There's nobody else allowed in that relationship, it's one another for life. But in that, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled. In other words, anything that you agree on that is honoring to one another, that's on limits, that's acceptable. But I always tell men, never make your wife do something that she does not want to do. She is God's daughter, and she has desires, and she has a history and a story just like you do. Honor her. Love her, but be truthful. Guys, if the only time you touch your wife is when you're having sex, you're doing it wrong. If the only time you touch your wife is when you're having sex, you're doing it wrong. Ladies, love your husband sexually. He needs it. I mentioned it earlier. And sometimes you think, well, it goes without saying. Why are we talking about this? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul actually writes the church at Corinth and he tells husbands and wives, don't withhold your body from one another because if you do, you're actually opening the door for Satan's temptation. He says, if you withhold yourself from one another, you're actually putting your spouse at risk of the attack of the devil himself. So, guys, what you can do is look at your wife this afternoon and ask her if she wants to fight the devil. If she says yes, it'll work out well for you. Let me know how that goes. Oh, man. Uh, I was thinking this week about there's a couple in our church they are in their 80s. Um, he, he's in his 80s. She's, I'm sure, much younger. But uh, Jack... Alford and Barbara Roberts, uh, Jack I think is 81, I talked to him after the first service. Um, they got married about two years ago up, in, up here, both of them are widows, widowers, and they were going to get remarried and, and uh, they asked me, Pastor, will you do the wedding? And the answer almost always is yes, love weddings. And so we, they went to get married in the prayer chapel, they just had a few friends and our staff came, it was, it was beautiful. But we did just one session of marriage counseling. I figured they should be counseling me, not me counseling them. But we did one ma- counsel of marriage. And I'm sitting here beside this couple, right? He's 80 and she's in retirement years. And I'm just like watching them like, you know, hold hands and, and him trying to like rub her leg. I'm like, this is getting embarrassing, Jack. You really got to stop. And we talked about why they wanted to get married and and they wanted to be able to honor the Lord physically in their marriage. And and, and I came home that day. I I don't tell Sarah very much about what, what goes on at work, but I came home, I couldn't help but tell her. I was like, baby, I want that to be us if God allows us to grow old together. I want that to be us. We should want that to be us. Touch your spouse in ways they desire. Number six, reaffirm your love often. Reaffirm your love often. Chapter 8 in verse 6. She says, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty Flame. Some translations even call that a a God's flame. The word, part of the word God is in there. So it could be mighty flame or the flame of God. Both are acceptable translations. This idea of a seal, they would wear a ring and dip it into the hot wax to make their seal, to make it official. So what she's saying is, I want our love to be public. I don't want it to be secretive. I want it to be official. I want it to be out in the open, everybody to know it. And this word for love here in verse 6 if you're taking notes, is the word ahava. It's a Hebrew word, A-H-A-V-A, ahava. It's not a romantic-only kind of love. It's not just like, you know, the Greek word uh, eros, erotic. This isn't this word. This word is more like that agape, that sacrificial kind of love. So what she's saying is here, I don't know, yes, I want your touch, and yes, sex is a part of it. But she said, I want your ahava. I want to know that you are committed to me until the end. She says this kind of love is jealous in verse 6. It's jealous. Not a middle school jealousy like you talk to another girl. Not that kind of jealousy. But it's a love that says, I will fight for you. I will go to the ends of the earth for you. I will fight for this relationship. That's what she's talking about. verse 7, many waters cannot quench love Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Now let's think for a minute before we're done. Where does this kind of love come from? I would propose this kind of love does not come from an evolutionary worldview. It can't come from that. You know, survival of the fittest says, you owe me right? People who who don't have a foundation in the gospel, when they enter marriage, it's like everything's a contract. You do this for me, I do this for you, da-da-da. Okay, 50-50, wait a minute, you're 49-51. That's the world's view of love, the survival of the fittest. This is something different. The ahava kind of love is the kind of love that says, we're in a covenant, not in a contract. I want to outgive you Like, I want to love you more than you love me. This is this kind of love. And I would would ask you to see this as only something that Christians can truly understand. Now, can an unbeliever love? Sure, an unbeliever can love. And they can learn aspects of Ahava. But the only way we can ever fully understand this kind of love is to realize we love him because he first loved us. This is John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave. What did he get out of it? Somebody says, well, God was lonely, and so he wanted to come down and create the world and save. No, God gets nothing more of himself by giving himself to us. He gave it up for us. And so in a marriage relationship, the, one of the first questions I ask if somebody comes in for counseling is this, are you committed to the relationship no matter what? Are you committed to the relationship, no matter what? If the answer is no, there's not a whole lot more you can really do. Pastor Ted's the expert. But if somebody says, yes, I'm committed to the relationship, I often will say, then we're 90% of the way there. Because if you can get Ahava, Christ died for sinners, I'm going to give my life for you, then you can take the next step. We love him because he first loved us reaffirm that love often don't be like the guy who got married and 25 years later he hadn't told his wife he loved her and so she said why don't you say you love me and he says the day we got married I told you I loved you and if anything changes I'll let you know don't be that guy send notes send texts go to dinner do the hard things lastly number seven Teach younger people what you have learned. Teach younger people what you have learned. Notice verse 8 of chapter 8. "'We have a little sister, and her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister on the day she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of silver.'" What is he saying here? I almost didn't include this, but before we pray, I've got to include this. Here's a couple, mainly the bride, and she's already thinking about passing on what she's learned to her little sister. It's like, I want my little sister to know this. This is a beautiful model of of what it looks like for all of us to invest in the next generation. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor Matt, there's no way I could ever help anybody younger than me because I've made mistakes. Or, or maybe you're, you, you didn't make the mistake that, that caused their relationship to crumble, but you're the result of a mistake and, and somebody else hurt you and they made a mistake. And, and so now you're just, there's nothing I have to offer. I would love as we close to give you another perspective. I would say from the Bible that those of you who have either made mistakes, which really we all have, that's all of us, those of you who have been hurt deeply, those of you that have learned through some deep wounds, have more to offer the next generation than anybody else. Think about it. If you're in the hospital with cancer, who do you want to come and see you? Somebody who knows all the answers but's never had cancer? Or somebody who's walked through it for years? and they know what it looks like to step into chemotherapy. You want somebody who's already been there. If you are here and you've been hesitant to step into community and bless the next generation because of some mistake you made in the past, the good news of the gospel is you are forgiven. His mercies are new every morning, and God evidently lets you go through what you went through to bless somebody else. You've got a story that this church needs. I would love to see you jump in and find a way to get to know others and bless the next generation. Take them out for dinner. Jump into a group. Invite them into your home. Love is a friendship set on fire. There's no way any of us can remember all seven of these things. But... There's one in here that the Lord would have you put into practice this week. Maybe it's number one. Try seeing your spouse in a different perspective. Or maybe for you it's to give genuine compliments more often. Maybe it's to be more playful and to have as much fun as possible. Maybe it's to be intentional and invest in your marriage. Maybe it's to try to touch your spouse in ways that they, not you, but they desire. Reaffirm your love more often. Or maybe for you, it's to teach a younger person what you have learned. Love is a friendship set on fire. Let's ask the Lord to work his love deeper in Bible Center Church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of men and women, students at our church. Lord, as we've concluded this series, I pray that we'll mostly take away your pursuit of us, help our love for our spouse, our love for our coworkers, fellow church members to all be about your love for us. And then from the overflow, we would show it to them. With heads about and eyes closed, would you just take a minute right there where you are and ask God, which one of the seven Do you want me to put more into practice this week? Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.